Good morning, goddesses and gods alike. This is Shannon, and I'm your host, and you're listening to the Goddess Morning Show podcast, where you can tune in every weekday morning for an approximately 20-minute long episode to start your day with updates on things that matter to a community of awake and conscious individuals who seek the divine feminine in all we do. We sift through all the copious amounts of information on the internet to bring you news and information on the things that matter to you. Tune in to hear about environmental news and book releases, interviews with thought leaders influencing the awakening of humanity, the moon phases, planetary positions, crystal healing, herbal and holistic health, guidance on green living, and that's just naming a few. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on right now. Be blessed. Namaste. Good morning, everyone. Today is Wednesday, March 25th, 2020. This is the Goddess Morning Show, and I am your host, Shannon. So today, our first thing that we're going to have at the top of this podcast is an email that was written by Carolyn Elliott. And it says, yesterday I talked about the way the current global crisis with the coronavirus pandemic is a giant wake-up call for all of us to start showing up in a way higher level of presence, leadership, and compassion. In other words, maybe in a daily life up until recently, you felt quite comfortable. The status quo seemed stable. You knew how to navigate your world. Everything was in order. Now the status quo is not stable. No one knows exactly how to navigate life with all the lockdowns and cancellations that are happening. Some people are freaking out. Some are in denial that a major societal shift is afoot. Many are hoping that life will go back to normal soon. Here's the thing, though. Life may never go back to normal, not the normal we knew previously, at least. This morning, the New York Times quotes public health officials saying it will take 18 months of social distancing to slow down the spread of the virus, so healthcare systems aren't overwhelmed. Who among us is ready for 18 months of no gatherings larger than 10 people of avoiding contact with the world? No restaurants, no concerts, no parties, no movie theaters. Geez, that's a lot to deal with. This is scary, and it's also a joyful opportunity. Alchemically speaking, our society is going through a calcination phase. In the alchemy of the psyche, calcination is an alchemical operation of purification one that involves burning away false attachments and false identities of getting stripped down to our bare essence so we can be reborn. Up to now, I've seen calcinations operating on a personal scale. Calcinations happen to individuals who lose jobs, experience divorce, go through a prolonged illness. Calcination periods always involve intense introspection, grief, and solitude. They're not exactly pleasant. They can be immensely productive periods, though. If we go through them with a willingness to learn, to grow, to surrender our previous selves and become closer to our inner divinity. Right now, we're in a massive societal calcination. Our attachments to previous social identities, our old confidence in navigating the world, our feeling that we could just coast by with whatever wisdom we had, that's all getting torched right now, and we're all being presented with opportunities for plenty of introspection, grief, and solitude. The great thing about this kind of calcination is that it will liberate vast amounts of emotional and libidinous 
energy, energy that was previously tied up in old forms and will be made available for fresh creations. We all have a unique opportunity now to dissolve our old egos like caterpillars melting in cocoons and reassemble ourselves into a new, more epic shape like butterflies emerging from those cocoons. Here's my top three suggestions for how to work with this dissolution so you can show up to your most powerful self at this time when your loved ones need you to do so. Number one, meditate. Uh, actually, right now, I very strongly recommend old-fashioned joining attention with breath meditation. For a much more centered day, meditate when you wake up in the morning before you read or watch any news or social media. The more you can liberate your attention from being trapped in grooves of thought, the more free presence you'll have to respond to those around you out of love instead of stress and reactivity. So set an intention to focus only on the sensation of your breath as it flows in and out for a specific period of time. Starting with five minutes is good if you're new to meditation. Whenever you notice yourself thinking, just note to yourself thinking and then return your attention to the sensation of your breath. Number two, journal every morning and night. In the morning, ask yourself, what did I dream about last night? Do you best record to do your best to record what you remember? If you don't remember much, keep trying. As you fall asleep at night, tell yourself, tonight I will dream, I will know what I am dreaming, and I will remember my dreams. Then do your best to interpret your dreams. There's a whole art to this that I can't get into right now, but you can start by just making notes of what themes and characters in the dreams remind you of. I recommend doing this dream work practice because it's essential to be in touch with what's going on inside your unconscious at times of calcination. In the night, ask yourself reflective and priming questions like, what's the most transformative insight I had today? How did my meditation go? What did I learn today? What did I do brilliantly? What could I improve upon for the future? What kind of person do I want to become? What do I want to create? What exactly do I need to accomplish tomorrow? These kinds of questions can be simple, but they prime the mind to give attention to evolution and transformation and create a sense of continuity and forward momentum, which we sorely need in times of confusion. Best always, Carolyn Elliott, author of Existential Kink, Unmask Your Shadow and Embrace Your Power. All right, our next article comes to us from mindbodygreen.com, and it's three tips for using the throat chakra to speak your truth and manifest your dreams by naturopathic doctor and nurse practitioner Erica Matluck, written on March 5th of this year. It says, each of the seven chakras holds a unique frequency, and there is a specific wound associated with each of these frequencies. To heal the wound of a chakra, we must move from the shadow state of that chakra into its gift. If you have already worked through the root, sacral, soroplex, and heart chakras, you're ready to move on to the fifth chakra, the throat. The throat chakra is all about effective communication. Using our language intentionally is a great tool for manifestation, but it is most effective when we are communicating authentically and truthfully. This is why it is so critical to work through the lower chakras before attempting to fully open the throat. The shadow of the throat chakra is guilt. The throat chakra transmits thought and inattention into the material world via language. It can be used to create anything you want, but so many of us have used too much guilt to fully use it to our advantage. This is not the kind of guilt we simply 
get for letting someone else down. This is the guilt we feel for letting ourselves have it all. This is the guilt we feel for taking up space in the world. It often stems from the illusion of scarcity. If we believe that the world is not resourced enough for all of us to have it all, then it is not possible for us to create the lives of our dreams without imposing on someone else's ability to create their dreams. For example, I have a client who works in the same industry as a close friend and recently started doing very well in her business. She is uncomfortable sharing her triumphs and successes with her friends because she feels guilty about it. She believes that she and her friend are competing for the same customers, and so she cannot thrive without inhibiting her friend's ability to do the same. The feeling of guilt has silenced her, and her throat chakra is not serving her. However, there is no reason both women cannot be successful. They may not be successful at the exact same time, and they may not have the same definition of what success looks and feels like, but there is space in the world for both of them to create the lives they want. Yet when the throat chakra is not free to transmit our truth into the world because of guilt and our ability to create the lives of our dreams is limited. To heal this wound of guilt, we must move from the shadow state of the throat chakra into its gift. The gift of the throat chakra is the ability to manifest. The ability to manifest your greatest life is the great gift of the throat chakra and we all have unlimited access to it. Aligning your language with your intention is not always as easy as it sounds, but when you set your intention to use your words with precision, they become an unstoppable technology for transmitting thought forms into the material world. This is one of the reasons mantra is such an important part of so many spiritual paths, because your words create the world around you. The practice of manifestation is about using your language with the potency it was designed for. Your words should be declarative, free of doubt, and rooted in the present moment. For example, if your intention is to write a book, speak the words, I am an author. If you already have a manifestation practice and are not seeing results, it might be because you spend a few minutes each day making the right statements, but throughout the rest of the day, your language contradicts those statements. For example, you say, I am a millionaire every morning, but then tell your friend you can't afford a weekend getaway. I am not suggesting that you spend irresponsibly, but I am suggesting you use your words wisely. So rather than declining because you can't afford something, simply state it's not currently aligned with my value system. Healing the throat chakra is about shifting from misunderstanding into manifestation, and it is the path of forgiveness. Here are three exercises to support your throat chakra healing. Number one, practice forgiveness. Sit in meditation and close your eyes. First, visualize yourself at any age sitting in front of you. Silently say the following statements to yourself. I forgive you. Thank you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Next, visualize each of your parents and offer them the same phrases. Next, visualize someone in your life who has done you wrong and offer them the same phrases. Finally, open your eyes and sit in front of the mirror. Look yourself in the eyes and repeat the same phrases to yourself aloud. Number two, plant your intentions and set it in motion. Identify your intention, what it is that you want to create for yourself. Now you must become aware of how you are using your thoughts, feelings, attention, words, and actions to drive that intention into the world. If your intention is to heal your body, you must think thoughts that support healing, such as I can heal my body, or every cell in my body is healing right now. You must then generate, generate the feelings that accompany healing, like relaxation, joy, excitement, and gratitude. 
Your throat chakra can then transmit these thoughts into form using statements like, my body is healing. And finally, you must take actions toward healing. That may mean resting, changing your diet, or getting support from a practitioner. Maintaining alignment between your intention, attention, thoughts, feelings, words, and actions allows your throat chakra to express its gift with ease. Number three, speak with precision. When it comes to your throat chakra, your words are your magic wand, so choose them wisely. You must become aware of any language that does not support what you want to create for yourself and reframe it. Detox your language and remove phrases like, I'm going to, I'm trying to, I should, one day when. So that was uh, the article on the throat chakra. And also from Mind Body Green, we have what is our psychological immune system? How should we really protect our mental state? And this was written by Emily Balsettis, PhD, on March 2nd of this year. It says, just as our bodies have ways of fighting off bacteria and viruses to improve our physical health, our minds have ways of maintaining our mental health. It's called our psychological immune system, and it shields us from, from some pretty disastrous maladies, but it can also be the root cause of some damaging outcomes. How does it protect us? When does it backfire? First, a case study. Marjolaine Fez and Frederick Anseal, researchers at Ghent University, interviewed 400 Belgian singers auditioning for a spot on Idol, the Belgian version of a television program that launches otherwise amateur singers' professional careers. A week before their audition, the researchers asked the contestants to predict how they feel if they lost the competition. Unsurprisingly, the group expected they would feel really unhappy. Unfortunately for most, their dreams of stardom were dashed. Most were not selected to advance to the next round. But when the researchers followed up two days later to ask how they were doing, the same individuals who expected to be heartbroken reported feeling something more like meh. They didn't feel the pain they had anticipated. In fact, the magnitude of their mistaken prediction of despair was even greater when they felt that the competition was, was fair. In other words, knowing that they had been given a fair shake, the disappointment they actually felt when they lost was far less than they thought that it might be like when imagining it in advance. The reports of unfortunate people's relatively positive emotional status flummoxes many of us looking at their lives from the outside. We think you really came up short. That had to have hurt. We expect them to feel as bad as they themselves predicted they would, but they don't. And it turns out to be a fairly universal and scientifically proven phenomenon. To wit, research with preschoolers who received only one sticker as a prize rather than two from a teacher, with adults who lost their job who experienced a traumatic personal injury, or who witnessed a tragedy show that we often experience a resilience we don't expect. All of this to say the psychological immune system is at play. What accounts for unexpected positivity is the protective power of the psychological immune system. Life's unfortunate circumstances pack a weaker punch than they seem like they should. Life's maladies don't pull us down as far as we think they will before we experience them. This is because our cognitive system is capable of some impressive trickery. It can take us the really rather sour lemons in our lives and make some unexpectedly delicious lemonade. 
I conducted a survey asking people to predict whether they would support a local charity raising funds for a national cancer research initiative. Eight of 10 individuals said absolutely and expanded that generosity is an important part of who they are as people. But it's challenging to foresee the hiccups of daily life that might stand in the way of translating our plans into behavior. When we measured support for the event from survey respondents drawn from the same pool, we found that only three out of 10 actually made a financial donation of any sort. The best of intentions did not always translate into real actions, but this is a fact that we try to hide perhaps most readily from ourselves, and it's our psychological immune system that does it. Consider this nuance. In another survey, I asked people a few days after a different high-profile charity event occurred whether they had supported the cause in some way. The time commitment was more and the financial buy-in bigger, so rates of support were lower than with the other event. Here, six out of every hundred people I asked said they had, and this percentage tracked well with what they had local media reported. People were honest in telling me that despite the fact they had found the charity deserving, they had not, in fact, done what they thought was the right thing. I checked back with the group a month later asking whether they had, in fact, supported the event. Now the levels of reported support somehow climbed high. People were mistakenly remembering their intentions as actions. They reported having acted in a way they had only hoped they would. It can hurt our sense of self to feel like we have not lived up to our own expectations of ourselves. One way we protect ourselves is by remembering the past in more favorable ways. Our brains craft summaries of our past deeds that are a little like white lies to help us feel better about what we did or didn't do. This can help us feel better when we, for example, practiced for months for that audition on Idol but lost, or got fewer stickers from our teacher than we hoped. We can still think we did well and simultaneously convince ourselves that the others in the room deserve the prize. I can still be good even if they were excellent, we might say to ourselves, but that protective process can backfire in other regards. The problem is that accurately recalling not only our successes, but also our shortcomings is essential for real growth and progress. Nick Paldafi, a scientist at Warwick Business School who studies the economics of happiness, I asked him if our psychological immune system is always helpful. Is it useful for us to have our minds and memories forgive our misgivings of the past? Pawadvi had a clear answer. When people reflect on just the best parts of an experience, in that very moment, people are happier. But in the long run, they may not be. He went on to explain, when we're trying to decide what we should do in the future, all those incomplete memories might lead us to make the wrong decision. Knowledge is power in this context, too. We make wiser choices when we have more information to draw from. Consider this. Would we be better off remembering or forgetting the name of the restaurant that gave us serious food poisoning? Our gut might have something to say about this. Could we have better relationships with friends and family if we remembered or forgot the thing they said that we said that hurt someone else's feelings? Sure, we might want to forget the guilt, but we might create stronger and healthier emotional ties to others if we recalled what that triggering, triggering talking point was that we said and don't say it again. The psychological immune system then is double-edged. It protects our positive sense of self by pushing us to forget our transgressions against our own good intentions. 
but that protection might be short-sighted or cutting in other ways. To prevent influenza, many people preemptively take a low dose of the virus in a yearly flu shot. In the same way, to prevent future missteps or regrettable lapses in judgment, we might consider taking a low dose of reality. We might let our minds experience some of the emotional sting of recalling our mistakes that we'd rather forget, remembering the bad alongside with the good that can help us make better choices in the future, and that will make us happier in the long run. All right, so we are wrapping up this episode of the podcast, and I just want for everyone out there to stay safe and healthy and have very bright blessings in their day today. Please tune in tomorrow and we will talk to you then. Have a great day. Namaste. This episode of the Goddess Morning Show is brought to you by From Ashes We Rise To.com, where you can get wellness coaching using holistic methods of healing, purchase our handcrafted, custom-blended, organic, non-GMO herbal teas that are crafted with love, and also order hand-poured soy candles infused with love and pure essential oils and herbs to heal using aromatherapy. Visit our website at fromasheswerise2.com. That's from Ashes We Rise with the number two dot com to read more about these products and services. Have a blessed day.